0: Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited to have Chris Badgett on the call today. Chris has been with us on In the Trenches before, and we talked about his software, Lifter LMS, and went into a lot of detail around the topic of how do you make sure that your students succeed when they purchase one of your online courses, which I think is an interesting topic in and of itself. So you didn't get a chance to listen to that one, go back. That was episode 93... I think. No, that was episode 95. 95. 95. Good correction. Thank you, Chris. So episode 95, check it out with Chris Badgett. Uh, If you're doing anything online course related, that's a fantastic episode. But I brought him back on today because I want to talk about business in general, but also specific to him, how he was able to build Lifter LMS, um, you know, a little bit about what he was doing before, during, and what he's continuing to do now, the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations of actually growing something software or otherwise. So Chris, thank you for being on In the Trenches with us again.
1: Thanks for having me, Tom. It's great to be back.
0: Yeah, it's, it's always a pleasure. Um, love catching up with you. So take me through this. Like we've talked about courses before and everything you've done that, but I don't think we got much of a backstory or at least we didn't go too in depth um, into Lifter, LMS and kind of how you've been able to build this platform and grow it. Uh, you know, you're in, a, you're in a competitive marketplace from my perspective when I look at learning management systems, when I look at, you know, online education software and, and tools like this, but I think you've, you've done a remarkable job of being able to stand out even against some really, you know, heavyweight competitors. So, I don't know where the best place to start is, but maybe you can start from the beginning a little bit or even just highlight some of the, you know, big wins or or even big losses in the early early stages and kind of how you've grown from there.
1: That's awesome. Well, I think to provide some context like where we are now, uh Leftover LMS is a, you know, profitable business. I've got a team uh, you know the products are selling every day. We have free product. We have paid add-ons. We have bundles of products. We have done-for-you service built around the product. But all of that took quite a while to build and become sustainable. The literal almost project is uh, three or three to four years old. And then my journey, really, as an on- online entrepreneur, I'm almost forty, but. I didn't start my web agency until about seven years ago. So my entrepreneur journey is um, about seven years, really. And you could call it, you know, seven years to overnight success or whatever. But it's it was a it's been a tough road, and we've had some wins and we've had some uh, uh, failures. And I'm a, uh, I'm the non technical co founder. And I have, a, you know, it's a software product business, but I don't know how to write a single line of code. So there's, there's a bunch of things that go into that and why that's uh, helpful and not helpful and how uh, that story evolved. But just to kind of bring it back, I'd encourage you guys to listen to episode 95. I talk a little bit about my background and how I used to uh, manage a sled dog tour business on a glacier in Alaska that you could only get to by helicopter. So, a lot of times people ask, how did you get into technology? Uh, so, my my entrepreneur journey really just started as an unexplainable uh, obsession and passion for publishing online that I just slowly started developing a habit of Learning how to build websites, discovering WordPress, which means non non-technical people like myself could plug tools together and make things happen, and and I really discovered my um, that I was an entrepreneur. I didn't realize it. I didn't realize it when I was younger. Um, I always like followed my passion, and you know, had a problem with authority and all that kind of stuff that you, you kind of notice as a common thread in entrepreneurs sometimes, but. I didn't really realize I was an entrepreneur until, you know, I was in my 30s. So, but, but the, the starting point for me uh, is actually has to do with uh, when I left Alaska, I almost missed the birth of my first daughter because of uh, uh, a storm and, I, and a, <clears throat> a helicopter could not fly. And it was actually the I was, my daughter came a little bit earlier than we anticipated in my first one. And we thought that um, I was going to do one more uh, like cycle, five days on the ice field before I came back down and stayed down in town um, before uh, to be, be ready for birth. But luckily, a storm kept me down one extra day, uh, and then my bo- my daughter was uh, born the next day or whatever. So it's just just in that whole moment where I really realized I needed to change career, even though I love what I did and everything, I just wanted to kind of be a little bit more available and around, and of course, I want to be a big part of my daughter's life, and I've always chased my passions, I mean, that's how I ended up in Alaska, I'm from a college town in North Carolina, so I I have a thing for, like, chasing after things that are interesting to me, Um, but it's often filled with, you know, some lean times not much money coming in, you know, I've lived in the back of my car at one point. I've done lots of different things. And, uh, you know, that changes what you, what you can do, how you can bootstrap when you have people depending on you and stuff like that. But um, I definitely had some lean times in the early days of my web agency. I've done, you know, product launches that ha- that I made five times as much in, you know, a day as I did my first year in business as a freelancer, <laughs> so like th- those extremes happen um, but it's the thing with me is like i just I really don't give up almost to a fault, but that i the reason that exists is just that that passion fuels it. I care deeply about learning, um, I really enjoy my the team i've built and Um, the customer base I work with, and I like the problems that we're trying to solve. So that's what kind of fuels me through it.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned that you're a co-founder, you're non-technical. So I think that's always been interesting to me because I'm also non-technical. I don't know how to code at all. I mean, maybe real basic stuff, but I mean, I might as well say not at all. I'm I'm illiterate when it comes to coding, but I've always been fascinated by software, software as a service, um, and maybe someday getting into that. So from that vantage point, what we're the biggest challenges for you, um, going, moving into a capacity where you're like leading a team to build something, but you are not somebody could actually go in there and, and change the code and not, you know, do that part of it. And like, what, what, what are the challenges with that? And also maybe then on the flip side what are some of the benefits that you've seen?
1: Absolutely. Um, I would say some of the biggest challenges of being a non-technical co-founder are, Sometimes it's, like, frustrating because certain things seem like they take a long time. Uh, But that's often just because I realize, in my experience anyways, it's just a lack of depth of understanding, like, the fundamental, you know, code architecture below what makes some things more challenging to execute than others. Um, So over time, I've gotten a lot better about dealing with that. And, you know, and also like just getting started and not knowing how long it's going to take because really good web developers, they don't always know. Like it's a it's a creative process for them. So they have to like kind of get into it. So you don't, you know, the business manager wants a, well, what's the timeline and what's the, how much can I spend on this? Uh, But it doesn't always work that way. Uh, So it's about making really smart, investments in strategy, like if you're going to, you know, forge your way into the unknown. Uh, but that, that can be frustrating. Um, sometimes, you know, not being able to make a quick fix, like if there's like some a spelling error somewhere or, uh, you know, something in the, there's a mess up in the e-commerce system or something like that, that's really important and needs to get done right away. And, you know, you just not being, being dependent on outside help can be uh, challenging. But overall, <clears throat> I would say it's the, the biggest blessing I have. I, I see it way more of a blessing than a cor- curse. My technical co-founder, Thomas, is a brilliant web developer. Um, he's also, you know, sales and marketing are not his strength, and that's a skill set that I've developed. So basically, <laughs> I mean, a funny way I tell the story is... Um, he hasn't listened to a single one of my podcasts, and I haven't read a single line of his code, but we work great together. <laughs> so uh,
0: That's pretty funny.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: So when you guys uh, got started, was it just you two then?
1: No, we actually had a third partner. So we also had a... Um, uh, like We went through the process of where it, it ended up not working out, but Thompson and I decided to keep going together. So... Um When we started it, there was actually two uh, non-technical co-founders, myself and another guy Joshua, who's a great guy. We're still friends to this day. so we were able to navigate that that whole change um, like in a way that didn't you know kill the friendship or whatever. Um, so that was a whole challenge and, and part of the growth process. but uh, yeah, it wasn't so, basically, the way it started is when I first started freelancing after I left Alaska, I opened up my own web agency called Badget Media, just my last name, and I started building websites. Um, you know, the first website I sold, I, I sold it for three or $500, and that was my first paying customer or whatever. Uh, at the peak of our web agency, which we no longer do, we use the web agency to fund and bootstrap the product. That's That's the tip from my experience on if you're going to be responsi- if you need to be responsible and like cap the downside a little bit on terms of um, you need to be making money while you're bootstrapping a product and you need time and runway, we did that by having an agency that actually specialized in the same niche that our product served, which became high-end. Membership sites and custom web applications for courses and membership site But this is like the ultra high-end. So some of our web pro- projects there um, Some of our clients spent over six figures with us and we didn't um, You know our minimum project spend was would be quite high by a lot of standards, but it started You know for me at Badget Media it started with just me by myself selling services putting websites together for five hundred dollars later, I merged my agency with Thomas and Joshua's company, Codebox, and that's then we became a three-way partnership. So that's kind of the origin story of that.
0: And that's interesting. So you guys, okay, so you you didn't kind of start this lifter LMS as we see it today necessarily from scratch, but you guys had your own kind of assets that you brought to the table, combined them, and then. And then built Lifter LMS, which I mean is not that much different. But I'm just curious, like, does that kind of grasp the nature of the the origins?
1: Yeah, we were already solving the same problems uh, in a very bespoke, custom, high end web development kind of marketing web agency kind of way. And then we 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 really wanted to build a product that that could uh, you know just just change the business model.
0: Okay, interesting. So had you guys become experts, uh, insofar as, you know, you want to kind of accept that term, but we'll go with it like experts in essentially like learning management systems and stuff like that. Like, and is that why Is that what took you down that path of, of, of moving toward online education and that being kind of your software solution that you want to focus on?
1: This is uh, kind of ties into one of my strengths as a non-technical co-founder and part of the, the place that all my passion for it comes. I'm also an online course creator. And I think we talked about this in the last In the Trenches episode, but I have, uh, I started building, uh, my first online course project was with my wife for gardening and permaculture courses, and we would even fly, like one time we flew to Costa Rica to film a two-week permaculture design course, and and basically turned this really cool workshop that was going on in the middle in the middle of the jungle into an online course product. And we operated as like the publisher model. So I'm basically the same uh, as our customer. Like I really understand our customer because I am also one of them. And so the <clears throat> that that's part of why how we became experts in that. And the other is it just so happened that as a as a web agency, um, clients with decent budgets who were looking to do high-end marketing automation. We used to do a lot of work in the Infusionsoft community, uh, and they needed a front-end website, e-commerce, membership site products and stuff going on, and they weren't happy with off-the-shelf solutions. They wanted it custom-built around their exact specifications. We just It just kind of evolved that those are the clients that could afford our our prices and that we could actually really serve well because between the three of us as partners, um, our, our understanding, our ability to combine the technology, really focus in on the business problems that we're solving and, and build simple strategies around that, uh, but deliver powerful results while doing best in breed, um, you know, marketing automation and things of that nature. That, that just is just how it evolved and so all that focus just really it just it just became like membership sites and online courses and lmss and to this day people often ask me like how does your system compare to some popular you know ed tech educational technology lms system and my answer is usually i don't know i haven't used it um so for me When we like build features and design the software and architect the product we are um we're just kind of starting at the the fundamental principles that course builders need we're not doing like a features arms race and starting by looking at the competition we almost have never even looked at them or even we we just focus on the business problems and the people we're helping and we run our own race and that's kind of been our strategy and that's how how it's evolved but our expertise is born from that experience and those relationships um more than you know re- research
0: right that's interesting okay so so take me through this when you guys first when you developed like version 1.0 of lifter lms when or be, let's actually start a little bit before version 1.0 was actually like released maybe before it was even a beta or whatever but when you actually began work on what is now lifter lms um, from the the moment you started working on it to the moment you released a version where you started getting paid for it, what was that, how long was that? And what was that time period like?
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question. So it, it released to the public in the fall of 2014. Um, and it really only took about a month to build the first version, which is amazing. And this comes from um, the original, we had another developer, um, Who was working on it and leading up that, uh, leading up the development of Lifter LMS, the product itself, while my technical co founder was kind of holding down the fort of client services in terms of the development needs over there. Uh, But it's so we built it in a month, but what was most important to us and specifically my my partner at the time, Joshua, and myself, on more of the marketing side, is we wanted to pre-sell it and validate demand. So we you know we we can build awesome websites and stuff like that, but we actually just used a lead page, like lead pages, to put to build the first version of the literal LMS website, build our interest list, uh, and 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 really just start you know listing out the features that are going to be in the product before a single line of code was written. And uh that whole process of like kind of pre selling it, marketing it, building the prototype, uh we just had about a month head start on the marketing, then the development side. So that was really only about a two month process from idea to launch.
0: Wow, that's pretty fast. So were you were you able to get paying customers then when you first well, I guess first launched?
1: Yeah, we got forty two of them.
0: That's awesome. So what do you guys do? What was the what was the secret sauce behind kind of getting that early um Early notification list, or 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 however you guys wanted to find that group of people, like the those that and of of those or of that group, the forty two became paying customers.
1: Yeah. So at the time, we didn't really have a big email list or anything like that. Like right now, this is being recorded in two thousand seventeen in the summer, and our email list is about twenty thousand people right now. But when that first launch happened. Um, I think we only had about 500 people on our email list. Um, but basically, even though we were, you know, pretty darn good at marketing automation and all that stuff for clients, we we hadn't necessarily over time built up our own email list and and that kind of thing. So um, if you know who Jason Cohen is, the the CEO of WP Engine, he he has a saying something about how you really have to tooth and claw for your first. Um, you know, customer early adopters or whatever. And that's exactly what we did. We did everything in the book tooth and claw. So I I had some old contacts from Badget Media. I had, you know, who, who had um, subscribed to my blog. I had people in, I had people in my gardening courses. Some of our earlier people just happened to also be students of mine that decided, hey, maybe I can create these courses too like Chris. <laughs> and uh we did all kinds of stuff like uh and I if if you want like a really specific tactic, uh I, I really like this one and I still use this one to this day whenever we do a launch. Um is I use the King Sumo giveaways plugin. So basically it's an incentivized mm-hmm. social sharing thing where you can uh, you can have a landing page and people join the giveaway to win a free copy of your software. And for every friend they they refer, you know, they get more entries into the drawing. I still do do this to this day every time we do a product launch and our, it, it has a huge spike in our list. Um, so, and then there, a lot of it was relationships. Some of our first, you know, high agency clients, you know, they became early customers. Um, and then, <clears throat> you know, doing... Figuring out ways to reward the uh, early adopters, <clears throat> you know, so having a really compelling offer um, around like taking good care of people and locking in pricing and that sort of thing is also really helpful to get that um, that that early launch. But there was not there was really wasn't a magic bullet. If I could do it all over again, um, I would probably. Like from the beginning, I would invest more in some kind of relationship strategy and try to get, you know, more access to somebody's uh, audience and figure out a way to deliver value to them. And so that makes sense that they can kind of help seed the launch. But that's really hard to do when you're unproven and you don't have anything yet. So it's like this catch 22. So it's just, we're just really scrappy. We don't give up. And then, um, you know to the uh, and a lot of it is just trying all kinds of different things across all three categories of sales from you know prospecting, content marketing, and uh, relationships. Like, we did all kinds of experiments, and then we just look for what works. And if it worked, then we do more of that.
0: Well, walk me through that process because I'm, I'm curious about that. I have a couple questions, on some of the other topics that you brought up, but that in particular, how do you guys approach that? The idea of Uh, conducting an experiment and then like take me through your process the thought process how you implement it how you like get that feedback that lets you know yeah this was uh, this was useful or this was lucrative we should keep doing this or or, no let's try something else
1: well most people listening to this have probably read the Lean Startup if you haven't I highly recommend it but basically, that's what we do. We're always like pivoting. Like the first version of the product, it's just constant improvement and iteration. And in order to do a, you know, to double down on what's working or pivot off of something that's not working, you have to have a way to gauge success. So, um, so what? Like, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, as an example, like paid acquisition, we always do, if we're going to do Facebook ads, we're going to have a tracking link that you can set up for free, just Google, Google UTM tracking link so that we can look at our Google analytics and see if, uh, you know, a link somewhere and not just for paid ads, but it could be a guest post or whatever. We're, we're always instrumenting our software or our marketing website and assets so that we can look at the data intelligently. Um, just like that, uh, that King Sumo giveaway thing, you know, that has statistics in it. You can see who's refer, who's referring, and like you can tell right away if it's working or not. Um, you can look at the, you know, the email list that you get from that and compare it to do these email addresses. Did these actual also equal orders? Like, is this a functioning experiment? Um, <clears throat> one of the big ones for me. I'm actually a pretty introverted person, pretty private person. I live in the country, and uh, one of the uh, one of the thing one of the things against me is I'm I'm in the like I'm the coast of Maine. I'm the farthest from Silicon Valley that you could get in the U.S. Anyways, and but I'm in this this tech space. But you know, with the internet and all these tools, it, it's debatable as to whether or not that matters, especially if you're going for. If you're not necessarily trying to build a in the startup world what they call a unicorn. But um, for me, I knew that relationships was a weakness in our marketing strategy because you know we just weren't really in the network. So one of the things I did intentionally is I found a, um, an event for WordPress product companies. It was in Mexico. It's called Cabo Press. I'm going back for the third time this year. And it just forced me to get in a room, actually in a beautiful resort, with all with a bunch of players in my space who weren't necessarily direct competitors. But it was, it was a way to forge high-quality relationships quickly. And that was one of the best marketing business decisions I've ever done. And it's not like this kind of, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine kind of thing. These are like real relationships and friendships and things that evolve that... Um, you know, if you're an isolated entrepreneur, uh, if you don't do that, if you don't figure out a way to do that in person or online, you're just missing out on this whole kind of network. And it, it also helps with that, you know, the things when we have our conversations, you know, behind closed doors about like, hey, what's working, what's not, or, you know, work-life balance issues and all that kind of stuff. You just There's just so much value that comes out of it. So, relationships… It's, it can be very powerful and a lot of and over, underutilized. It seems.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I I completely agree. I think they're underutilized though because it's it's not a, you know, it's it's usually not direct or one for one or not as easy to calculate ROI on something like that, right?
1: It's also extremely scary sometimes. I mean, <clears throat> like when I first, if we're going to talk about like, the first time I went, <laughs> I, I I felt like. uh you know, the small fish or whatever, and not that I, it's not like I don't have an ego problem or anything like that, but I was like, oh, is my company big enough to be here or whatever, like, and, you know, as I, as as Lifter becomes more and more successful, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like that anymore, but uh, I remember, like, there was that moment of fear or panic, like, oh, am I, you know, it, am I worthy enough to go to this event or develop these relationships? And and once I got there, the very first time, all those fears and worries and everything immediately just went right out the door, and it it, it was a great experience. But it can be scary to to do that kind of stuff.
0: Where's that fine line between product development, like adding new features or adding or improving features, and and sales for you guys? Like how do you approach that?
1: Yeah, so uh, we we kind of subscribed loosely to in software development to what's known as agile development and so in the early days um i was technically what's known as the product owner which means i'm the one who builds the bridge between uh the developers and the market demand or or, and also the needs of the marketing department and all that it had to go through me and i was the final call and that it was a perfect spot for me to be because I I understand sales and marketing. My unique strength in the business partnership has to do, had to do with like really client and customer empathy and understanding business problems. Like from that's that was my unique strength. So <clears throat> I would ju- I would always just really always bring it back to like the problems we're solving are we solving the right problems are we doing it efficiently that's how we figure out what goes into the product because what's really scary if you just like put every single request that you hear bubbling up from your marketplace from the public from your customers um it can get really bloated and really crazy and unruly and and you'll run out of money and your head will explode that's my experience (laughs) um so you have to have a filter and um, somebody told me in the early days that constraints are your friends. So there's only so much time till the launch day that we pre-scheduled. There's only so much money that we can invest into the product while we're bootstrapping at the various phases. There's only so much money we can invest in, into like paid acquisition. Um, so once you get really real about those constraints and, um, look at them like as your ally and not the enemy and not as like an excuse like I don't have enough money then um, then it forces you to be really creative and focus on what what works and uh, I do things all the time like I'll survey survey my audience in a Facebook poll and we just released a new add-on called private areas I, I put out a survey about it somebody mentioned that hey I, the, you guys should consider building something like uh, that coaches can use as a paid upsell to courses, where they can have a private page per student. I ran that by my audience. Uh, it, it like took off like wildflower fire, and we I, we just changed, pivoted our product roadmap, and like built that next in line. <laughs> so uh, you have to have validation, and you know just deal with the constraints and um and just protect the purity of the product. In terms of not being bloated and making sure that it, um, you know, that it really fits your market. And that you're, at the end of the day, for us, when it's, when we're making a feature de- decision, I always think about what is the, how will this affect the end learner? Like, I'm not, I, I care the most about not just my customer or potential customer, but about their customers, like their students If it helps that student get results I'm I will consider building it so that's that's one of our filters as well is uh, especially if your software product is um, business-to-business it's you kind of just got to leapfrog over your customer and go to their customer and really take care of that person everybody else wins as long as you get that right
0: where do you guys get most of your like where's most of your growth coming from right now is it from referrals? Is it from, you know, content marketing? Like, what's what's really moving the needle for you guys right now?
1: Um, it kind of comes in phases. So from our biggest growth lever after the initial tooth and claw to become to get traction and decide to continue on the product, like, okay, there's something here. And uh, you know, in, in the early days, the next major growth lever was when we actually changed our business model and made our core product free. And then uh, what that does is, by having a free WordPress plugin, you get this incredible distribution through WordPress itself. Even today, um, it can be a little confusing, but I just read that WordPress.com, which is a little different than the kind that you you know host on your own website, just opened it up to allow Uh, regular plugins like free plugins to be installed on it before which wasn't possible before which means we're gonna get even more distribution but anyways in a more general sense we started it paid and then we pivoted it to free and then did paid add-ons very quickly we replaced our revenue levels back to what they were and started growing um, at a much more accelerated rate that was the the major growth level there, um, and it was it's painful to switch your business model like that to go from paid to free. Um, so that's that's one, and then later we got into bundles, which then accelerated the model more. So instead of just individual add-ons, you can get them all for a uh, instead of eat, buy each for ninety nine dollars, you can get uh, this bundle for three ninety nine or that bundle for this other p- price. Um, but for right now uh... the main engine of growth for us right now a lot of things all that kind of toothing and clawing and um... we have a, a large effort on content marketing <clears throat> um... it just it seems like it's just snowballing and compounding on itself right now and there's uh... A, just a lot of growth coming off of our content and that's for me from a content marketing perspective our biggest um... Our biggest content channels that we do well at are YouTube. Even if videos don't get a lot of view, if they're, like, highly relevant and highly targeted, (laughs) you can get a lot. So we've got over 300 videos, I think, on our YouTube channel. Um, We use free courses on our website. Um, That's our number one driver of sales, actually. So one of the things I'm doing right now, I just set this up or... um, when when this comes out, it'll be totally launched. but we basically have an opt-in that's powered by something called Opt-in monster that's spread across multiple web properties we own, like our blog site and our podcast site, all powered from one opt-in system. But basically, people opt in and it it you know through an API, it shoots a, shoots that that person to our CRM active campaign. And then it, it adds them to a course, a free course on a different website about how to use Lifter LMS and its auto account creation and all this stuff. So I'm just pouring gasoline on the, on the fire of you know, basically using free courses to, dim, to demo our product. And then um, <clears throat> that's our number one driver of sales month after month, year after year. When people look at the demo – uh, it, when I look in Google Analytics, that's where they are right before they buy. So um, I would encourage you to spend a lot of effort on your demo. And for us, it's an automated demo. It's it's like a course. Mm. So that's what's really working for us right now in terms of, uh, and it always has. And I, And for whatever reason, I've noticed this, it's common that software companies especially typically don't make great instruction manuals or tutorials it's often some other entrepreneur who builds the hey learn how to make use ScreenFlow" or or learn how to um use evernote or learn whatever it's not the same company that actually makes the tool (laughs) so so i find that an interesting fact just from a, a case study standpoint but uh yeah, I mean focus focus on the demo. That like show don't tell. As much as you can show that that's been, in my experience what seems to really drive the sales.
0: That's interesting. Now that obviously is immediately applicable for software. Do you think that that's something that's like can course creators use something like this? Um you know in terms of like that demo feature like what would be an equivalent for somebody selling digital products or For a coach or consultant selling services, do you think that there's like an equivalent type of demo approach somebody could take like that to, to absolutely, yeah, generate leads and get sales?
1: Yeah. Like if I'm advising somebody on this, the general strategy I I go to is because it can be overwhelming um, to, to like make a lot of content, especially if you're on the hook to like develop um, more than just, uh, like one blog post or whatever so what i advise people to do is uh write five blog posts let's, let's i'm talking to somebody at the very beginning of their content marketing strategy write five blog posts after you're done with that then you can create uh what i call an email mini course which is like three to five parts where they opt in and you're teaching them by email around whatever it is your your information products or your coaching is all about and then at the end of the that email mini course then you kind of up 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 the ante into a free you know short course on your website and then from there you can go into a paid course and then you can, can package multiple courses into a membership you can add coaching to your courses and and you can just build your your business model on top of that so that's what I recommend um, <clears throat> so anybody anybody in any industry like um, can have a free course. There's always some kind of education. If you can have a blog, you can have a free course. It's just about thinking differently around really focusing in on a specific result uh, or something that people need to know. The way I like to describe it, there's three types of courses. There is a resource course, which is just like a body of knowledge. So if I'm teaching you how to build a business, I might just have a, a free resource course in my site uh, about like the, you know, let's say it's a marketing course, uh, like the 10 laws of marketing, break them at your own peril. But instead of doing like an, uh, like an ebook or, and you can still do that stuff too. I do recommend that as well. But, um, but you can, you can just add something that's more structured, like a course as well to the, uh, to the funnel, but any, any business has something to teach. Like I do, like one of our, this is, this is kind of a, a counterintuitive way that people use our software. We actually have a lot of people who in the real estate industry and they're creating free courses. The real estate agents or broker, more likely the broker owners of the real estate company. They're creating like free first time home buyer courses. Uh, They're creating courses on how to sell your, how to resell your home for maximum value. Um, hey, financing, you know, home mortgage, one oh one courses. So they're using free courses for lead generation and they're a, they're a service business. So you can, you can put a course anywhere.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and, and I guess I'm curious when you, when you implement this for yourselves, like you guys go out and do this, like, I guess the difference would be, so the free course, I, I get that conceptually demo. So you, it doesn't actually have to be something where you're on it live with somebody. As I'm gathering this, like it could actually just be fully automated. That's what you guys have gotten to. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So like our our main course is a passive video course, which basically goes, each lesson is a video tour of a feature of the product, uh, the free product or some of the paid add-ons. So um, yeah, it's a a curated, organized walkthrough of the basically the offer of the business itself and uh i uh <laughs> this is one thing i do and i still do to this day is on our contact page i have a thing where anybody in the world can schedule a 15-minute call with me um and i have to limit it on my calendar otherwise it, it would fill up too much so i only really actually offer it like on monday afternoons and a few other blocks of, like isolated blocks in my calendar that has been a really powerful thing for me for sales, especially for our high t- our higher-end offers because people want to talk to a live human being, but we can't necessarily have the phone ringing off the hook. So, uh, you know, doing things that don't scale, even now, even though we're really stable, I still do that. I still, um, people do schedule that with me, and that's a way not only for me to close business, but also... Uh, Just to keep, it's important to me to always have my finger on the pulse of like what my potential customers are asking for. What they're, the problems they're trying to solve or like the issues they're having with the other tool that they're trying to get away from. Those calls are invaluable to me. I'll probably do it forever. (laughs) So, uh, but it does it doesn't scale at all. And uh, sometimes. How many of
0: those calls do you do a week or a month? Um,
1: A week? Probably about I limit them to fifteen minutes, and I do about fifteen of them. Ten, ten to fifteen a
0: week. Wow! And then, and, um, and does the person, um, like, uh, do you schedule these with them, or are these are just random calls like you're doing to customers?
1: Um, no, I they schedule them. I have the whole scheduling system all automated with Calendly and Zoom and a Zoom meeting room that I go into. Um, and it's on my, you know, they just appear on my calendar, but, um, and people can call in or whatever, but it's on, it's kind of clear that it's on like a pre-sales contact page. So there's a contact form and then below it, there's the ability to schedule a 15 minute call with me.
0: That's really cool. I find that interesting. I really, I've, I've heard that from some other people too. Um, well, very few, but who take the time to do that, to to get on calls with customers and stuff like that and just talk through those kind of things. I think- what great market research. So let me ask you like, I also what, oh, I just want to add one more. Yeah.
1: I I do as a habit I also answer one support ticket a day myself. I always do that just cuz I I want to know like on that side too. I don't just I'm not just trying to close the sale. It's also like like figuring out like how can we do better with onboarding or what don't people understand or what what's you know what what's not working out for people.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So let me let me ask this <clears throat> what, what, what was like one of the biggest like challenges? Um, cause hearing it, you're like, oh yeah, you guys got got off to a good start. Um, you know, doing well, growing, have you had any rough patches and what, what have those been like for you guys?
1: Yeah, this is where the, I would say for me, it's like the, the hardest part, but I haven't, a, I do, I can persevere and I can, sp- I can spend things. And because I have a, um, a background in like the whole wilderness survival camping digital nomad traveling thing i i'm uniquely qualified to go very low income through through periods if i need to so the hardest part for me was just in those early days of the the product when we were really not Profitable, and we're taking a lot of the extra, almost all of the extra cash out of the agency and pumping it into the building up the product. There was a time, there was time there where I was living, and I'm the sole, uh, I'm the main. My wife does a few things like with our our online course business, but our, our gardening course business. But I'm the the primary provider for my household, and. We had to get by on very less. So uh, we had very low income for about six months. So I made a d- strategic decision and I saw it happening. You know, Yeah, the initial 42 customers was great, but that's not going to you know, put food on the table. And we still had to keep delivering on all the promises we made in the marketing and all that stuff. So I made a strategic decision on... Just getting things down so that I could live off of approximately $1,000 a month. And what I did, uh, I took what could be seen as the most difficult situation and I spun it into what some would say is a good situation. But it was still hard and very trying and lean times. So what I did is I moved out of my, the rental. We were renting in Montana at the time. Uh, and we, I went to the, um, the RV dealer and I got a travel trailer for zero down. <laughs> so that's two, a really nice brand new $200, $200 a month travel trailer. Uh, I, I went to the car dealership and got a vehicle that could tow it zero down, $200 a month payments. So now we're at $400. And. Uh, I got my laptop. I got my wife. I got my kids, and we hit the road, and we traveled all over the country, mostly camping for free, staying at friends' houses. Um, uh, sometimes work it like we'd go to an organic farm and uh, post up, and I'd be in the trailer working with my mobile hotspot. My wife would be working off our stay, like you know, helping harvest vegetables and doing all that stuff. So we took what. Sounds challenging and actually just spun it into something and it was through doing that and, and you know We never ate out ever uh, Even though we were passing through all these nice places uh, You know, we got a national park pass But we you know lots of beans and rice and just hanging out together lots of long days and but that it's really challenging as an entrepreneur Especially when you've got people depending on you when you have to really in the early days for me dropping down to really low income levels, but that's, that's how I did it. You know, so we swung through friends and family, you know, post up for a little bit. Um, and, and I think there is a way to do it more intelligently or more smarter, or maybe you can't, your product does better when it initially launches, but I had to, I had to play the the hand I was dealt and I, I didn't want to give up I, and I'm glad I didn't. So that's what we did.
0: That's awesome, man. It just goes to show you, it's like, there's, I don't think there are, there's really such a thing as a success unless it's like hard fought and hard won in a lot of ways. Uh, Cause again, if it's easy, then somebody else is going to do it. And then all of a sudden it gets competitive and gets difficult again. So I think that's just a great learning point, great learning lesson, um, and a great point of reflection for anybody who's listening to realize, yeah, sometimes this stuff is this, this path is tough and, and it's not supposed to be easy. So I really appreciate your insights on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you.
0: Well, we're coming up to the top of the hour here, Chris. Where can people reach out to find you, connect with you, uh, maybe scope out Lifter LMS as well? Um, The floor is yours.
1: You can uh, find Lifter LMS at lifterlms.com. And if you find the contact page you can find that 15 minute schedule call link if you want to talk to me. I, I love talking to other entrepreneurs and because I and just I know what it's like and um, I just enjoy connecting with other entrepreneurs so feel free to connect with me there. I also have a podcast for online course creators and membership site owners called LMS Cast. Um, that's at lmscast.com. And yeah, those are the best ways to connect with me. I'm also on Twitter and Facebook if you want to connect on social as well. So thanks for having me on the show, Tom. I really appreciate it. Of
0: course, Chris. And I am sure we'll have you back on again in the future. And I appreciate you being on with us again on In the Trenches. So thank you so much. And everybody's listening, definitely check it out. Go scope out the original conversation I had with Chris. Uh, It's episode 95. And when this comes out, of course, definitely listen, share, and check out what Chris is doing over at Lifter LMS. It's really great stuff. Thanks a lot, Chris. appreciate having you on. Thank you. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please do me a favor and go to tomworkis.com slash iTunes. That's T-O-M. M-O-R-K-E-S dot com slash iTunes and leave a rating and review for In the Trenches. Not only do I read and appreciate every review, but it helps spread the word of this podcast and allows me to continue to get on great guests. So thank you for your support, and I'll catch you on the next broadcast of In the Trenches.